It's Thursday, December 7th, and this is the 1909 State News' weekly podcast featuring our reporters talking about the news. I'm your host, Alex Walters. This week, I'm first joined by two state news reporters to talk about their reporting on Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg's visit to MSU's campus. They observed two protests that ended in a student arrested. Uh, then, one of them will tell us about another story she wrote about a complicated extension to the pass-fail grading policy instituted in the wake of the February 13th campus shooting. And finally, on this last episode of the semester, I'll be joined by administration reporter Theo Shear to do a little reflecting on maybe the newsiest semester imaginable here at MSU. And with that, let's start the show. All right, well, we're back with our first guest. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Jaden Beard. I'm the cultural politics reporter. I'm Radima Kodali. I'm a general assignment reporter. Yeah, so you guys last week, you know, you got together and you covered an event. Uh, it was, you know, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who people might remember as a Democratic presidential candidate, came to campus and gave this talk. I think it was billed as an evening with Pete Buttigieg as part of this recurring speaker series they do every year with the former Michigan governor. Um, and, you know, that may not sound like the most interesting evening, but it unfolded in kind of a, I think, a shocking way to a lot of people. It was a big story that you guys wrote. And so, yeah, we're happy to have you guys here talking about it. But before we get into, you know, some of the unexpected things that happened, Jaden, I know you were set to cover this event before all that unfolded. Do you want to kind of talk through what this event um, was billed to be, what it was going to be when it was just an event? Sure. So former Governor Jim Blanchard um, has somebody every year to give an award. Um, and this year it was Department of Transportation Sec- Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And it was supposed to be a Q&A um, between Governor Blanchard and him, asking him what it's like to be a part of Biden's cabinet, Um, and about his experience um, running for president. And just, it was supposed to be general inspiration to get people involved in um, serving the public and getting involved in politics. So that's what it was supposed to be. That was the main focus originally. And so then, you know, when it was announced that the secretary would be coming to campus, I think pretty quickly some progressive student organizations announced that they would be protesting the event. So so you were sent, Redeemer, to cover that outside. Do you want to talk about, you know, you got there early to talk to these protesters about what they were about, what they were trying to do with this protest? Yeah, I mean, that experience, it was my first time covering a protest. Yeah. So I was like a little bit nervous going into it because, you know, first time covering the protest, didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. But um, when I first got there, um, I actually found a lot of people who wanted to talk about it. And they're like, we want people to judge to know that, you know, we want a ceasefire, and that was, like, pretty much the whole thing about the protests, and they basically chanted from right outside the Kellogg Center, and then they went up to the parking lot, mm. um, so it was, like, the, when, like, the Kellogg Center, it's, like, the parking lot that's, like, connected. Yeah. For those who aren't, you know, familiar with MSU's campus, that's the, the convention center where it was, and then there's this parking structure that's kind of connected in a little walkway where I assume those speaking at the event, going to the event, were coming from. Yeah, and um, I was able to talk to a lot of different people, and um, the ones that ended up making it into the article uh, was someone from Super. He was, like, the outreach coordinator, and he was the one who was pretty much like, yeah, we really hope we get our message out. We know Buttigieg is, like, hearing us. That was, like, pretty much what he was saying. And then um, another person, his family, Yusuf Abbas, his family was actually in Palestine, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about... um, just how upset he was and I think I could like tell there were like tears from his eyes when I interviewed him before the protest and it was just like really sad to hear um 
Yeah, but the entire thing, the experience of going to a protest and reporting on it, they were, like, very passionate about, oh, we want a ceasefire, and they got their opinions out, they were chanting. There was a lot of things going on with the cops. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I can say, but... Oh, well, I mean, I guess, you know, the strategy of the protest from reading your article... Seems clear that this person who's coming to campus. Yeah. I, I think a relatively rare thing for MSU to have an actual secretary, a member of the camp, member of the cabinet. Here, it's almost like they don't have the ear of the president to get their message, but this guy who they assume does. And maybe he goes back and he says, "I'm at Michigan State and I heard all this stuff." I mean, is that fair? Yeah. To describe it that way. Yeah. But then, and that's all that we thought protest wise that evening. But then, Jane, you were inside the event, yes. and a, a separate protest actually happened in there, but a separate cause. Do you want to talk about that when that? about sure so um into Buttigieg's speech he was talking about Biden's inflation reduction act and he was saying that it's the most intense climate legislation that's been passed thus far and that is when members from an organization called climate defiance that's not linked with MSU but that's been following Buttigieg sort of around um during the speeches and have done a lot of um protests like this um they interrupted his speech they were chanting, stop Petro-Pete and... Um, Petro-Pete? Yeah, like petroleum. Oh. And um, they were saying things like, um, think about the children, how could you say this? Um, and they were escorted out by the police, and it ended in one arrest. That was confirmed. So that was what that. What was the, the, the reason for the, the arrest? So I, the reason was um, an MSU ordinance that was disorderly assemblages or conduct. I see. Um, but he did not spend the night in jail. I see. Well, yeah, well, certainly, you know, an eventful evening with Secretary Buttigieg covered masterfully by you guys. So, Jaden, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about it. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, but, Redima, you're actually sticking around because we've got another story from you that I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, last February, after the, the mass shooting on Michigan State University's campus, the university announced a number of kind of reforms to help students who are reeling from the trauma of this still, you know, learn what they needed to learn, but maybe not be so, you know, overwhelmed with academic pressure. And one of these was this credit and no credit grading option, where, you know, it's essentially pass-fail, where you can take a class and, you know, you, you do the necessary assignments, you pass it, it appears that way in your transcript, you don't have to worry about, did I get a three or a three, five or a four, or anything like that. Um, but you reported last week that this is coming back, sort of, a little bit. So you want to talk about just, you know, what exactly this return is, who it applies to, what it applies to. So basically the credit and um, no credit policy is coming back, but only for elective classes. Mm -hmm. So like it's not going to be utilized for general ed requirements, instead only elective classes um, versus like during the pandemic and um, after the shooting, you could use it for like any of your classes. But um, now it's like coming back back and it was actually extended to December 8th uh, because of what's going on right now in Israel and Palestine and to kind of alleviate stress was like the exact wording that Mark Largent used for Palestinian and Israeli students. And so but this is only you know not a class for your major, not a class that's required either by your college or by just like a university requirement, just a class that you take just for just for taking a class, right? Yeah, so, yeah, pretty much. I see. And this is something that, you know, students affected by, you know, the violence in Israel and Palestine uh, 
they, they asked for? Is this something that had been talked about before? Yeah, so actually super... Um, Can you explain what, what super is? So super is the Students United uh, for Palestinian Rights. Yeah. So super, um, uh, I think the Jewish student group, and um, ACTS, which is the Arab Cultural Society, mm-hmm. they all pretty much had like a list of demands for, um, Mark, uh, for President Woodruff. And they're like, these are like our all our demands. And they wanted like the credit and no credit policy was one of the devan- yeah. demands that were met. And so they kind of approached like the request. And Mark Largent was bas- basically like, you know, President Woodruff and I, you know, uh, she came to the office of provost and this is something we came up together. Mm-hmm. And they didn't say anything about... Um, the Palestinian students or the Jewish students that like wrote up the list of requests. I see. They sold it as their own idea for, huh. And what about how did the students feel? You know, I know you talked to them after they announced this change. Did they feel this is what they had asked for to have it just for elective non-major non-required classes? Um, so they didn't even know. So Saba, who's like vice president of the Arab cultural society. So she, she was like, I didn't even know it was for elective classes. I see. She she was like, um, and um, she also said like Woodruff sent like an email to everybody, mm-hmm. um, beforehand about the credit and no credit, but like I I checked my email like after she said that and I didn't find any email yeah, about the know, credit or no I didn't credit policy. See that first announcement and then when I did uh, on the website, I, same as you know the person you talked yeah. to, I wasn't sure that it was just for elective classes until I read your story. Yeah, she was like pretty much like I hate that it's for elective classes, um. It's like you got to do something to the full extent of doing it. She was like pretty upset about it. And she also didn't like how like admin was kind of taking credit for it when it was like they came up together with the request. And that was like one of the only requests they fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I know some of the other requests was like an apology from President Woodruff. I see. And the other, you know, parts of this list that the students had forwarded, those weren't uh, met. Yeah. I see. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show for and all of your great reporting. All right, we are back, and my next guest is a frequent uh, friend of the 1909. Been on, I think, like half the episodes this semester. The incredible administration reporter Theo Shear. Hey, Alex. It's yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. So I thought, you know, end of the semester, you and I, we've written a lot. I don't think we've counted a lot of stories, a lot of big topics. Mm, Yeah. Every time we were like, that was crazy. Got a little bit crazier around here. Um, and so I thought, you know, we could reflect because I was realizing as I was putting the show together today, I forgot so many of the like, you know, big news stories. There's just been so many this semester. That'd be nice to go through it. Just, you know, a couple guys talking about the news. Um, who do just the talking news about the news. Yeah, for, exactly. For so, yeah. Sounds good to me. But I want to start a little bit before the semester even started when you, you broke a pretty big story over the summer right before everybody moved in and such, what we thought would be maybe the biggest story about uh, a presidential shakeup. So why don't you tell us about that? Get us started. We're yeah. in August. Yeah, right. So this is before the semester even started. Um, it is our uh, interim president, Teresa Woodruff. She announced that she wouldn't be seeking um, the role as permanent president. Obviously, she's the interim president. This is as a presidential search is, is ongoing. Uh, and she announced that she doesn't really want to keep this role, you know, permanently. She um wants to be done once a new president is chosen um and she explained 
um, you know, that, that she was grateful to have the opportunity. What she didn't mm. mention exactly was why. And, and we, I think we're starting to maybe learn a little bit more about that. Um, but I don't mean to get too ahead of myself. We're going chronological today. Yes, so we are. Not, we but are. no, it was interesting. I remember, you know, that press conference. Uh, now I'm jumping about a week ahead to move in week. She did a mm, press mm. conference with the reporters about students moving in. And one of them came and they asked her, like, hey, are you going to answer about this presidency thing? Why aren't you seeking it? And she said, well, I just want to do what's in the best interest of the university. And they said, um, what do you mean by that? And she, she didn't answer. So at the time, it was sort of, and we got a little bit more out of her as the semester went on about right. why she's not seeking this we role. Did. But we'll get there. I, again, don't want to get ahead of myself. Now we're in the first week. You know, classes started. You know, we're doing the news. And pretty immediately, we had an MSU board meeting. Um, and it was, a, it, it, was, it, was, it was a doozy of a meeting. You know, a lot of news went on time we thought it might be the craziest meeting um, in a minute. It turned out very much not to be. Um, but I think the first you know, big news of that meeting was we heard um, from a lot of survivors of Larry Nassar's abuse. And they came, and it was something that I have never seen before at an MSU board meeting. You know, there's eight trustees, eight board members, and they went down the line, and they just sort of, um, I don't, I mean, just condemned, criticized some of it was like clever with like wordplay and stuff. It was almost like a roast of each of these board members just saying that they're complicit in so much of what they feel contributed to this sexual abuse that Nasser did for so many years. And they served them with an updated copy of this lawsuit alleging that um, the board had held a secret vote for the April decision to withhold from investigators these now infamous thousands of you know Nasser documents relating to how the university allowed him to abuse so many young women for so long. Um, and so that was, I mean, I mean there's just a, an emotional board meeting with them doing that. And we also, I think it's interesting looking back now, months later, you know, MSU's board has for a long time, I think, been publicly contentious. But I think in that meeting, we saw for the first time, those tensions boil over in a very public way. And it was with, you know, this was not on the agenda. And then, you know, the trustees, trustee Scott actually introduces this item, which is a reform to the board's bylaws that would change the way that the chair the chairperson is elected. So instead of doing these chair elections every two years, it would just be um, rotated based on seniority. And you wouldn't be able to repeat. Mm -hmm. And so for one, this changes how you elect chairs in the future. But what it also does is the current chair, Rima Vassar, her, she would not be able to seek a second term. And she would not be eligible to be the next person unless everybody else passed over it. So it's, you know, it's a challenge to her leadership. And you know, this gets, um, I mean, it gets ugly. Scott's talking about how these chair elections have become contentious and it's divisive and you know people are uh, politically posturing and it's affecting decisions long term and then Vassar is saying that this is an attack on her personally and they're trying to put it under the guise of a bylaws change but what it really is is that she feels you know as the first black woman to be the chair of MSU's board that they're trying to change the rules on her to prevent her those are her words to prevent her from you know staying in power and this is something that you know I, I've been in MSU board meetings for a year now I've read uh, about a lot of them before that I think this is where we start seeing these cracks start to widen and things get more tense. And so that was an, it's interesting to look back on that. Um, but now let's go. That was on a Friday. And we thought, wow, what a newsy semester already. Right. Turns out it very much was not yet. I remember Sunday morning, September 10th, I woke up. Because Saturday, I went home early. I went to sleep. I was going to have a real study day Sunday, Theo. And I As woke up I. to As more I. notifications on my phone than I've ever had on my phone. And I was like, look at me, Mr. Popular, you know. Turns out that was not the case, and I think you, you helped me write that story that morning. It was it was I the did. Mel Tucker thing. Yes, yeah. it was it was Mel Tucker. Um, USA Today did a, a big piece on um, Kenny Jacoby, who uh, was yes. on in nineteen oh nine. Actually, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kenny Jacoby, he wrote um, that 
Uh, Mel Tucker was under investigation and under a Title IX investigation for, um, for uh, at the time, allegedly um, sexually harassing a, a rape survivor and an advocate. Her name's Brenda Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's while, working for his team. Right, exactly. Yeah. While she was working with her team, um, he, and I just remember that week, I mean, that day was really, I was, it was I remember, yeah. you know, that morning coming and writing that story. And what, eight hours later, you know, they announced his press conference, we go, he's suspended. I, I don't know, we filed four or five stories that day. Right. Um, I mean, what a wild, the, you know, we did not see that one coming. We did not. Um, we did and not. it also is just so interesting because, you know, I, I, I've reported so much on this this OIE process, these Title IX issues, and it really, I, at the time, what I suspected that it would be, would be, you know, this like nationally scrutinized stress test of what we already know through these consulting reports talking about, you know, the constant turnover, the understaffing, the inability to complete these cases in less than like a year, a stress test on this already very stressed MSU system. So again, another huge news story. Um, right, right. And, and it prompted you know, a lot of questions, I mean, as, as it, did any case of, of this nature of, of who knew what and when, and these are things that we're still kind of, you know, finding out. Yeah, I mean, it's still, I mean, we're, you know, months out from that, and now there's um, you know, an internal investigation at MSU, which we're going to get to in a second. There is this kind of looming legal threat of a loss. Well, we should get mm. into, you know, Tucker after this, he responds and he, he denies all allegations of wrongdoing. She says right. that, you know, she's out to get him and making up this story and that it was completely consensual. And he's, you know, said that MSU suspending him and eventually firing him, you know, we filed throughout the semester, uh, he's just completely disagreed with. And he sent these document preservation requests to the campus, which sort of, you know, foreshadow some sort of litigation that's, uh, you know, uh, looming, coming soon. It's, Which is yet to happen as of right now. It's but Tuesday, December 5th, no loss. Yes, if when this right. airs Thursday, it's already happened, that'll be embarrassing for us. We'll look like fools. Ugh, God. But um, at this point, it hasn't. And then another interesting twist, when that week, Brenda Tracy, you know, because uh, the advocate who Tucker harassed, um, I think a lot of people were quick to attack her and say, well, you're going to the media mm-hmm. with this and not letting this process play out. And she explains that she had an embargo with USA Today, that she had put together this story because she always feared that it would be leaked, that she was accused. He's such a big public figure, not just right. at MSU, but nationally. I mean, he's one of the highest paid coaches in the country. Um, that she, she wanted to let the leak. process. Yeah. yeah, she wanted to let it go. But then she put together the story just in case. And I guess we still don't know exactly what happened. But that, you know, she says that happened, that she found out that it had been leaked to a media outlet. And so she told USA Today, published the story, because she wanted it not to be dominated by his side, but by her side of the story. Um, and we don't know exactly where that leak came from. We don't, but we know a little bit about what she believe, where she believes it came from and how that affected MSU. So pretty quickly after the Tucker thing, we report on a draft memo that she sent to MSU, or a statement, I should say, through her attorney, that said that I'm aware that someone associated with Michigan State University's Board of Trustees leaked my name to the media, which forced me to come forward publicly with these allegations against Mel Tucker. And we know that that was sent on the same day that MSU ordered an outside investigation, which remains ongoing, into that case. Um, and, you know, we still don't know. her. I talked to her attorney. Her attorney declined to expand on who that party is associated with MSU's board, uh, what information they relied on to to make that um, determination that it was someone associated with the board who did leak her name. Um, we still don't know that. I guess the hope is that this outside investigation conducted by the law firm Jones Day is going to turn up some answers on that. But, you know, we're not sure. Interestingly, actually, the Jones Day probe has been expanded now, not just to be about the leak of 
Brendan Tracy's name, but who leaked that draft statement to me, um, which is um, interesting. Yeah, um, it's getting meta. But <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, but no, and then, um, you know, I'm scrolling through after that. Oh, this is one that I forget about sometimes, right? Which is that we learned um, right after all the Tucker stuff that the Department of Education is actually investigating MSU for mishandling a totally different Title IX case. Um, and the case in question here is um, it's a student, uh, a female MSU student who's disabled who accused a male staff member of sexually harassing her and then MSU of mishandling that complaint and retaliating against her for filing it. That's all we know. We know this from these very heavily redacted documents that we're piecing together from FOIAs to both MSU and the Department of Ed. That investigation is still ongoing. We'll continue to cover it. But that's, I mean, I think in a normal time, that would be big news that the Department of Ed is investigating the university over that. But I think it just kind of got lost in these, you know, Mel Tucker news cycles and, of course, what, what's to come, which I think mm-hmm. um, we're, we're getting to next. Now we're in, let's say, October. Right, October. Theo also, I should say, in this in-between period, had an amazing story about deviant pedestrianism which I know may seem small potatoes compared to all this or whatever. Is that the right expression? I don't know. But, like, um, it, it it's amazing about how they lay out the sidewalks on MSU's campus. And you might be thinking, Alex, that sounds so uninteresting and boring if you're a listener of the 1909. But Theo Shear writes it in such an interesting way, and he gets right at this, like, kind of crazy theory of, like, how you let pedestrians guide you as a pl- I can't explain it as good as he does. Just read his story on it. It's amazing. I just want to say that before we get to more of this very much not fun news about just you know kind of egregious sexual misconduct right well thank um, you alex but I that mean, was an amazing story theo yeah thanks thanks anyway now we're in october and if you are still listening to this podcast i know it's a lot you might remember those board tensions we talked about at the september meeting and it got so much more intense and we got this letter it's a seven page letter written by one trustee trustee brianna scott about the chairwoman Rima Vassar, Mm -hmm. and it makes just, I I mean, these are wide-ranging allegations of misconduct that, you know, kind of the thesis of Scott's letter is that Vassar has played this outsized, behind-the-scenes role in all of these MSU controversies that you might know. The ousting of business dean Sanjay Gupta, great 1909 episode about that. The withholding of these Nasser documents. The rapid recent presidential turnover. And, you know, all of this Mel Tucker stuff, especially this looming legal battle and the Brenda Tracy leak. Um, and, you know, Scott calls for Vassar to be removed or to resign, um, or I guess to resign or to be removed is a better way of saying that. Um, and you can read, we did a lot of stories breaking down these numerous allegations. Vassar, I should say, has denied all wrongdoing, and she, you know, once again said that this is an attempt to challenge her leadership because she's the first black woman mm-hmm. to chair the board. She felt that it was, you know, an attack on a powerful black woman, and she felt a lot of it was coded language, you know, like these allegations that Vassar bullied the president. Um, she feels that's coded language. Um, and I should say that Woodruff did not necessarily directly respond to that, but she did issue a statement just saying that her work under the board has been, her words were challenging at times. Um, which I think, you know, and, and that, I, I should say, the tension on the board, I, don't, I wouldn't say is resolved. You know, there's now right. another ongoing outside investigation to get to sort of the truth of Scott's allegations that, you know, we'll hopefully at some point see the results of, um, although it's unclear if those will be public. It's unclear if any of these investigations will be publicized or if they'll hold privilege over them. Um, 
but that's ongoing. But in that, I think this is a nice opportunity to circle back. We talked about earlier, but we're getting a little bit more of a glimpse of Woodruff's decision not to pursue the permanent presidency with these allegations that she's been bullied, that her power has been usurped. Um, and, and she actually did in an interview with me expand on it a little bit more, I feel like. You know, I asked her that question of like, well, why are you doing this? She said it's in the best interest of the university. And I said, you know, what about you leaving is in the best interest of the university? I have, to, I have trouble understanding that. And she was like, well, I'm just trying to do what's best for the community. And then her spokesperson actually cut off the conversation. That was the end of things, which was disappointing, but right. sometimes how it goes. What can you do? Um, yeah. But, um, but so, you know, we're getting little glimpses of that throughout the semester. Um, and with that, I think that, and again, you're like, this is just October? I know. Oh, man. It's been a busy month. Only October. Oh, and, and I then when was the, um, well, there's a, a board meeting directly after that. Was that still in October? Or yes, that... that's still. So then there's this okay. board meeting. And those tensions. Where these tensions, sort of, you know, if yeah. you think the September board meeting is crazy, October Should board have been meeting, there. even crazier. You know, you have these board members crying. You have them taking sides. Some saying they support Bassard, mm -hmm. Some saying they want her out. Some saying they just hate that they're having to have this whole public debate over this. You have supporters of both sides coming and speaking. You have people yelling and heckling. Mm -hmm. I mean, being was, removed. Um, yeah, I think yeah, someone was removed from the board meeting. Right. Um, it was you know I think the most tense I've ever seen the MSU board. And I next week when we go to December one, I don't know who knows what it'll look like. Um, but but yeah. Oh, and before we move on, also in there was a story that I wrote that I didn't think would be like a big deal, but people I reacted to it greatly. Was uh, the professor with the meth lab. Um, in uh, September, then again in October, when I was able to confirm that he was fired, we found out about this kinesiology professor who was hired by MSU uh, despite these past meth lab-related charges in Louisiana. And the details of it were kind of crazy. And then he was also just like, like the only reason anyone found out about it was because he was so kind of rude and unprofessional with his students that they started like researching his background and they sleuth out that he's teaching under this like modified name and they find the charges. And that was a fascinating story. But again, yeah. I think sometimes it gets lost in all this, but like, what a weird one. Um, but anyhow, November 1st, beginning of November, another story. This one, I think is a really big deal. I was really excited about it. Um, the tenure track faculty of MSU announced that they want a union, which is kind of this, you know, uh, I think a relatively newer thing in academia. Mm -hmm. A lot of schools are doing this. I think you see it more so in states where academia feels politically challenged. Like you see, you know, in Florida, um, Louisiana, where you have Republican governors kind of reigning in on higher education, trying to, you know, put political messaging into it, Ten faculty feeling that a union, especially tenure-track faculty, will protect sort of their academic freedom. Here at MSU, the reasoning was more so like the administration and the board are making some decisions and engaging in some conduct that we don't agree with, and we think maybe we should have a bigger voice in that. But that's another fascinating ongoing story. I'm sensing a theme, Theo, that we're ending this semester with a lot of open, you know, a lot of, lot of open questions, a lot mm. of open stories. Right, right. You know what I mean? Well, as a reporter, that's all you got. It's yeah. just questions. But and then, then you tell us, Theo, in November now, mm. for anyone who's still listening, you're like, well, wait, in August when you started this very long summary, didn't the president say that she doesn't want to keep the job much longer? Who's going to be the new president? Well, Theo. we know. Yeah. So, kind of. Yeah. Well, right, right. Um <laughs> We found out the names um, of the two presidential... Well, for, well first, can, can you tell us, cause, and I, you did a lot of reporting on this this fall, yeah. about the search process leading up to that oh, yeah, reveal. Yeah. You know, 
So, right, uh, the presidential search, uh, so far it's been very secretive. I mean, they have this this committee uh, composed of over 20 people that are, you know, supposed to be, you know, interviewing candidates, um, just discussing these things. But, but all in all complete secrecy. Right. So I should say we did a lot of reporting on it, but most of the reporting was kind of about what we don't know about it and what exactly. they tell us about it, which is interesting. But um, but yeah, but this committee was like looking at all these applicants, screening them. Anyway, go on. Right, and we of course we had no idea who they were um, until um, until November. What was it? I don't, November tenth or don't so. Know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, until November, 15. we we nice learned job. the names of the two candidates. So so the the, the committee they passed along the names of of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, candidates to the board of trustees for, for yeah. final approval. Yeah, and then in November we learned that they were down to just these two people, and they were debating right. which one. And this was a big, a big thing for us because you know that secrecy. I should say the the proponents of it, especially mm-hmm. the search firm MSU used the chair of the search committee, who's also a trustee, Dennis Dano. They said that well, that's the only way to attract good candidates because that secrecy lets people apply without their current employer knowing about that. That was questioned in a couple ways. Uh, some experts that we talked to who study presidential searches said that that maybe isn't necessarily 100% the case, that actually there could be an effect where it's a way of concealing search firms recycling the same candidates, and actually being publicly identified in a search could actually help your relationship with your current employer, because if they like you and you're a good you know, president, they might be like, can we give you more money to stay? That's one thing. But also here on MSU's campus, it was heavily criticized, especially by the faculty senate, because they just wanted, you know, uh, input in this process. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to know who these people were. They didn't want the board to just pull a president out of the box and suddenly, like, that's who they have. So for us, getting these names was a big deal to kind of let the campus, you know, see these two people, um, you know, see which one they like, which ones they don't, look at their backgrounds. That, right. of course, wasn't necessarily exactly what happened, as you're about to explain, Theo. Right, exactly. Well, we found out the names of, of two candidates. Um when we contacted them, uh, you know, we were about to r- write and release the story mm-hmm. of releasing those names. But when we contacted both of them for comment, one of them actually dropped out of the running altogether. Yeah, knowing that he would, you know, publicly be identified as right. in the running for the presidency, just dropped out. Um, it's done. So down to one. And his name right. is Kevin Guskowitz. He's yeah, the Guskowitz. chancellor of uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, And Theo, do you want to take us through, you know, you had that story about sort of his background, not his background, but sort of notable moments in his leadership of their campus for someone who's like, who's this guy who's the only remaining choice for MSU's presidency? Right, the sole finalist. Um, Well, he is a, uh, he's been a a chancellor at uh, UNC for, I believe, a few years now, since around 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, He was best known for his research in, um, in concussions and how they affect the brain. Um, but he, in his time there, which is relatively short in, in that role, um, he's been involved with an, a number of, I guess you could say, controversies at UNC overall. Um, so specifically, one, one of the big ones that was in the press uh, was the handling of, of Nicole Hannah-Jones's tenure. So Nicole Hannah-Jones, she is this journalist who she worked on the uh, 1619 project. This is New York Times. It was you know heavily acclaimed uh, work about slavery and the history of slavery, its impacts, uh, et cetera. I think it, I believe it won a Pulitzer. I think so. Yeah. And she was like she spearheaded that. I, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it also had its critics. Uh, but when she was hired at UNC in, in April 2021. Uh, she was hired as the night chair in race and investigation investigative journalism. 
at their school of journalism. She, she applied for a tenured position. Many people recommended her for that. The thing is, the board, um, UNC's board of governors was deadlocked over whether to actually grant her um, the tenure. And many people speculated that that was because the, the donor, um, this massive donor for the journalism school, was a critic of the 1619 project of, mm. of her work. And they were saying that they were doing this because they had money on the table, they didn't want to upset them, um, and then therefore they, you know, never really voted on this very heavily acclaimed uh, black woman's tenure. Um, and that received, obviously, a lot of criticism, a lot of protest. She eventually uh, left the school um, altogether and, and accepted the same position, but at a different college, at a historically black institution. Um, and she criticized, in an interview with ABC News, mm -hmm. uh, she criticized uh, Gus Kuyk's role mm -hmm. in that, the, the chancellor, um, saying that while he never really explicitly, you know, said, oh, you know, she shouldn't be denied tenure or anything like that, he never really stood up to the Board of Trustees. That's, that's what she was saying. Um, and you can kind of see the same criticisms, uh, you know, among different events um, in, his, in his career there. So, for example, there was this Confederate statue on campus. Uh, it's called Silent Sam. And, uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of discussions around that um, at UNC about whether, you know, it's ethical to have that up. And eventually, t uh, protesters toppled the statue. Mm. Um, then the Sons of the Confederacy, I believe, it's, it's this group that, um, you know, advocates for, for, for stuff like this. They, uh, they, they said that the UNC uh, board needs to reinstate the statue, that it's, you know, part of... Um, you know, the, the cultural heritage. Uh, they sued this. the university, right? Right, right. Their right. rights were violated by them toppling the Confederate statue. Exactly, yeah. They, they sued the university. And they had this, eventually, it, it led up to this very controversial settlement where UNC gave the Sons of the Confederacy uh, $2.5 million to, for the upkeep and, you know. They gave them the statue, too. Right, right. Like they, uh, yeah. They yeah. got it. Yeah, they got the statue back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, that was also very he heavily criticized. Yeah. Um, and and Guskowitz's role in that was again criticized because he never really, uh, people said he never um, stood up to the board of governors who really spearheaded that decision to give them the settlement. I see. Yeah. And so you know, once these you know people in the MSU community start reading about his background, pretty quickly right. they're like, you know, now this is not this closed secret search anymore. We know who the candidate is. Let's have a chance to talk to him. And first, the faculty senate, they send a letter to him and to MSU's board, and they say, we would like a 90-minute Q&A if this is the guy that you're considering for the presidency where we can talk to him. Uh, and then you reported on the Black Alumni Association and also the Black Staff Association also asked for a Q&A, specifically citing concerns with the tenure denial and the you know payout to the Confederate groups. Um, and he, he has denied both those offers. And we talked mm -hmm. to John Isaacson, who's kind of the search firm middleman orchestrating this, you know, MSU search for the presidency. And he said that, you know, it was a scheduling thing. Faculty leaders said they didn't really believe that, and they felt like if he wanted to talk to them, he would have done it, and he would have found the time. Um, and that's where we're at on that. And we know that they're in some manner of negotiations with Guskowitz, right? He said that he's weighing the MSU job. MSU is talking to him about it. Um, but we don't really know exactly what that looks like, when that'll end, where that'll end, how that'll end. 
What we do know, and I think this is an interesting story that we reported last week, is that in these writings that we obtained that he made to MSU's faculty a couple weeks ago, um, that at the time were anonymous, and then the faculty eventually got de-anonymized because they were like, well, this guy's the only candidate. Can't we at least see what he said? Mm -hmm. He says that he would only take the job at MSU if the board promises to break this habit of interference into the administration, which is what, you know, when President Stanley resigned last fall, the reason he said, he said he lost confidence in the board and that they were interfering in his administration's business. It's what Scott accuses Vassar of doing in that letter that we talked about um, that potentially made things, as Woodruff said, challenging for her working as president. And so he basically says, you know, if you're going to interfere in my administration, I don't want to come to MSU. And that's where things are at. Right, I think right. it's well, and, you know, and he adds that he actually had a conversation with the trustees yeah, about he, this, you know, talk and to that them they and were receptive they, to it as well. I think he said, yeah, um, that they were, you know, they committed or not committed, but they were receptive and they were, yeah. you know, saying like we would like to do that if that means that you're going to come here. So that's what we know. Again, we're recording this Tuesday, December fifth. If by Thursday, December seventh, at the soonest when you're hearing it, he's been made president or something, we're going to sound pretty foolish. Um, but that's just the cost of doing business. Exactly. Yeah, Thea, wow. What a semester it's been. Um, hard work, important work, uh, work that is so enjoyable because I'm doing it with you. Um, what a good time that we've had. Uh, and we'll keep doing it next semester. I'm glad you could come on uh, to tell the six people who are still listening to this now too long podcast what went on this semester. Yeah, so, thanks yeah. for having me. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's been great. It's been a good semester. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Thea. Thank you. And that's all for this semester. We'll be back in January. Uh, until then, the stories we discussed and plenty more being published every day are available at statenews.com. Thank you to our incredible podcast director, Anthony Brinson, my guests, Redima, Jaden, and Theo. And most of all, thank you for listening. For the 1909, I'm Alex Walters.